When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and we are back after a mere six years. By public demand, uh, this is the first uh, in what hopefully will be... Uh, a new series of podcasts for the magazine Snooker Scene. I'm going to say this at the start because I'll probably forget later. You can subscribe to Snooker Scene if you go to our website, snookerscene.co.uk. And uh, let us know also what you think of the podcast, what you want to hear. We would appreciate any feedback. You can contact me on Twitter, at Dave Hendon. That's at Dave Hendon on Twitter. And let us know. I'm joined by the Snooker Scene editor, Clive Everton, for this first edition. And we're going to be talking about uh, all sorts of things. We're going to be talking about Kyron Wilson, who's just won the Shanghai Masters, came right through the pack to win that uh, in Shanghai recently. We're going to be talking about the new world champion, Stuart Bingham, and asking why players around the 40 mark seem to be doing so well of late. And we'll also be looking at uh, a feature in the new issue, the October issue of Snooker Scene about Fergal O'Brien. And we'll be looking at the uh, survey that was done recently by Pro Snooker Blog, which is some very interesting uh, questions and answers that Matt there on Pro Snooker Blog uh, got from his readers. So, Clive, Kyron Wilson, that was a bit of a story, wasn't it? Remarkable to, to, for a player ranked 54th to come through to a first uh, ranking title with a series of very good wins, uh, came through three rounds of qualifying, a wild card round, then Joe Perry, Michael Holt, Ding Junhui, that, that was a marvellous win, a late night win in front of Ding's uh, own Chinese supporters, then Mark Allen in the semi-finals, and, an epic 10-9 win over Judd Trump in the final. What impressed me about him, obviously the way he played was fantastic, but he controlled his emotions really well. I commentated on the match with Ding for Eurosport, and there was no sign at any point that he was feeling the pressure. That's not to say he wasn't inside, but you didn't see it. And then, of course, at the end you saw a release of emotion, which was fair enough, but in snooker, controlling the emotions is so important, isn't it? It is. I think the key to his success was putting to the back of his mind... What was hanging on the end of it? Not just an £85,000 first prize, but uh, uh, other ancillary benefits like a place in the Champion of Champions, 
a place in Championship League, in World, World Grand Prix, all these considerations, which in fact will, will make that success in Shanghai worth at least 150,000. And I think it was his ability to concentrate on the match just simply as a match rather than what was hanging on the end of it. And not everybody can do that. He seems very level-headed and that's going to be important going forward because in a way it's done now, it's put to bed, you've won one, but he's going to be under a different sort of pressure. He's going to have expectations from other players, other people, but also himself. He would think, well, I've won a tournament now, I've got to keep improving. So the next few tournaments for him are going to be interesting to see how he gets on. When you've climbed Everest, you, uh, you think, well, what's next? You, you, you can only climb it again. There's, 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 there's nothing higher. But uh, I, I think that there may be a, a, a period of adjustment. But uh, when things settle, he will know that if he's done it once, he can do it again. Because there have been a lot of players who have won one and then they struggle to win another one. Dominic Dale said he won the Grand Prix 97. And he said, in a way... I felt I won it too early. I didn't know how to cope with winning, which it seems odd maybe from an outsider, but I kind of know what he means. And it took him 10 years to win another tournament. But again, Kyron, he seems, as I say, sensible. I don't think it'll go to his head. However, his results will be washed though, won't they? They will. In the case of Dominic Dale, I think he never really believed that he was a top player. Um, I think, in a way, he was almost waiting to sort of sink back into the pack after winning the Grand Prix in 1996. Uh, I don't think that Wilson will do the same, but at the same time, you, you've got to win matches as they come up, come up you know. Uh, if, you, if there's a match there, you, you, you've got to win it, and then if you win a few in succession, you're in line to win another title. And of course, Dale, when he won it, he didn't have the advantage of the ranking system being as it is now. He had to wait till the end. I mean, he won it in, would have been October. Had to wait to the end of the season in May to, to see any benefit. Whereas Kyron, if he does well in the next few tournaments, could even be in the Masters. So I suppose he has that immediate sort of uh, carrot dangling there. He knows that if he does well in the next few events, he could really possibly even be in the 16 by the World Championship. It's very good to have carrots uh, uh, and targets. Some players are inspired by them. With other players, it makes it more difficult for them to get over the line in any one match if they realise what's hanging on the end of it. Mm. I guess for, for Corin, he's just got to be very proud of himself, first of all, and, and just enjoy enjoy the win, but, but obviously move on to the, to the next tournament. He'll be in, uh, well, as, as this podcast comes out, he'll have been in the qualifying for the International Championship. Well, one man uh, who uh, needs no motivation is, is Stuart Bingham, the world champion. We're going to reflect on his uh, great win. I was wondering, Clive... Does he count as a surprise winner? Because we've had surprise winners before, Joe Johnson, Sean Murphy, Graham Dot, they've never won tournaments. But Stewart was a tournament winner already. So was it that big a shock that he won the World Championship? Well, not, not an absolutely seismic shock, but uh, uh, let, let's call it a, a mini shock. In fact, uh, Stewart said himself that when he was going down the steps at the Crucible on the final night, he, he said, is this me? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 it was, of course. Uh, he... he uh, came to a peak at the, uh, at the Crucible we can certainly say that and uh, winning at the Crucible is another step onward from winning any other tournament we can safely say mm. I think it's a sign of the respect people have for Stuart there's been no backbiting at all there's been no sort of criticism of him or any, any nastiness that you sometimes get when someone wins a big tournament people are gen gen genuinely happy for him aren't they because they know that the effort he's putting down there is the way he supported the game 
Well, he's world champion, but he's still one of the lads. Mm. He, he's still uh, a snooker player. Uh, I think he's had one or two problems of adjustment being world champion because he's got the Everest problem again. <laughs> he, he's won the world championship. You know, to start again at the bottom is, is quite is quite difficult to do. But uh, and and he's not really produced his real A game uh, so far this season. But he's still not done badly. Semi-finals in Shanghai, not too bad, and there's more to come. Mm. Yeah, he, he, I guess the thing he's got now is that every match he plays is, is suddenly high profile. You know, a year ago, some of his matches in Shanghai would not have been on television, but now pretty much every match he plays is on television, and that takes some adjusting to. You can't sort of... You know, sort of sleepwalk through a couple of rounds. You know that every every ball you, you you take on, people are watching. I think Stewart's love of the game will carry him through everything. Fair enough. Yeah, and and that's the thing, isn't it? Even when you know when we recorded these podcasts before in two thousand and nine, we were down to six ranking events. But Stewart would be playing in pro ams. He'd be playing in anything. If there was a, a tournament on in a club and he's walking past, he'd, he'd go in and, and enter it. He just has that pure love, doesn't he, of actually playing snooker? Yes, uh, and there's nothing you just can't beat playing matches, whatever they are. Uh, I think that uh, two two matches is worth, you know, two weeks of practice, three weeks of practice. There are things happening in matches. Uh, with the mental circumstances to go with them that just uh, are not reproducible in practice. Mm. And also, the other thing to say about his, his crucible success, it was a, a real tough draw. You know, you look at the, certainly the last three matches he played, well, he beat, he beat Robbie Williams, then Graham Dot, but then he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, Judd Trump and Sean Murphy. I mean, that is, that is a seriously impressive trio of scalps in any tournament, but certainly over, over the long matches there. I think the secret was that at last... Uh, Stuart started to actually see himself a winner on on, uh, on the biggest occasions. Mm. Uh, perhaps before he felt a, l- a little bit mentally intimidated, but uh, n- not anymore. He got he got very close to O'Sullivan in the uh, UK Championship previously, and in fact beaten him the year, the, the year before. And uh, it, it really sunk in with him that I can I can win this O'Sullivan or not. Yeah. Of course, one of the things about Stuart, and this is a common theme now in the game, he's uh, knocking on 40, he's 39 now, he's 38 when he won the World Championship. And uh, in recent years, there's been a number of players around the 40 mark have been doing well. Mark Davis, in particular, has played his best snooker 20 years into his career. Joe Perry, at the age of 40, won his first ranking event, the Players' Championship last season. Various others in their 30s as well. At this age, players traditionally start to decline, but it seems the opposite is happening now, with, with, with some of them anyway. I think the big question is, do they still love the game? And I think the answer to that is yes, they they do. The other thing is that in the bad old days, with only down to six six tournaments, each tournament was too much of an event for the all but the very very top players. Um, there was too much too much hanging on it um, financially, apart from apart from anything else. But now that they can play tournaments practically every week, in fact, as much as they like, really. Um, they're played in. They're not. They're not as nervous. They're more adjusted to to, to tournaments, and therefore it's not quite such a, a a big deal emotionally. But I come back to the original point. The big thing is: are they still enjoying it? They still are, and they're earning pots of money far more than they've they were earning in the bad old days. One argument, though, for why it's happening could be, and Karen Wilson kind of disproves this, but. 
are there enough young, new young players coming through challenging the old guard? You know, you go back 20 years, you had the O'Sullivan's, the Higgins, the Williams, sort of knocking over some of the older players, but there aren't as many young players now, are there, who are doing that? No, they're not. Uh, I think, though, that that's partly because the older players are holding their standard for longer. Mm. But also, is there a... I mean, we know in, in Britain, anyway, snooker clubs are, are shutting down. The amateur scene isn't as vibrant as it once was. So there are fewer players, I guess, who could challenge. Yes, a, a fewer. A, a, a total, the total number is fewer, and therefore, from that base, you're getting uh, fewer real prospects. Although they, they they do exist. I mean, not far from our office, there's a boy called Taylor Fish, mm. who's only 14, uh, who's just made a maximum at Pockets, Kidderminster. Um, now he's not actually won anything yet, but uh, a feat like that suggests that he pretty soon will. Well, let's hope he does, because with a name like Fish, you can imagine some of the headlines that you're going to see. Um, well, one player who's, uh, who's in that, that bracket of, of players around the 40 mark, in fact, it's just over it, Fergal O'Brien. He was the runner-up in the, in the World Seniors Championship. We've got a feature on him, an interview with him in the October issue of Snooker Scene. He's been a pro 25 years. He's one of only three players who is still in the top 32 from when the game went open in 1991, the others being Peter Ebden and Mark Davis. Fergal, uh, he's had a very good career, hasn't he? He's won the British Open, the Masters. He's still a professional. He talks in the in the feature about some of the ones that got away, but to still be playing and and still be competing at the highest level, he's now Ireland's number one. Actually, that's a remarkable feat. Well, I'm beginning to sound like a, a recurring <laughs> record. It's love of the game. Nobody loves the game more than Fergal. Uh, he practices practices like a demon. And uh, I think he'll be uh, on the circuit for a few years yet. You need enthusiasm to have gone to so many sort of qualifiers. They're not always staged in, how should we put it, the, the sort of uh, the great cities of the world, either the qualifiers. They're not necessarily places that you would go to on holiday. And when you lose sort of 5 4 at half 11 at night on the black, you must get in your car and think, oh, I should be doing something else. But I suppose that, that goes away after a day or two, and you just think, well, this is what I love doing, it's in my blood, and I'll come back and give it another go. Well, I think any player who's had a serious career um, would ask himself after a bit, what is the alternative to this? And really, there isn't one. I mean, it's a pretty good life, really. OK, you know, you can't play at the Crucible every day. You know, some days you're playing on Table 6 somewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh, <laughs> or uh, even Table 7. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but, but, but it's, the, it, it's, it's their life. They would be lost without it. Mm. Fergal, British Open was his, was his great win and he talks in, in the magazine because he's quite feisty, I don't think people realise he's quite outspoken and he said that he was inspired by the fact that he wasn't picked as a wildcard for the Irish Masters, he was in the 20s and Michael Judge was something like 60 and he got the wildcard and Fergal didn't and he said it annoyed him so much, he said I was determined to win a tournament so I could then make a speech lambasting the decision <laughs> it, it turned out he did win the tournament, he just didn't make the speech because he was so, so happy to win it but sometimes you need a kind of driving force like that just to sort of fire you up a bit, don't you? Well, motive Motivation comes in some mysterious ways. <laughs> but still Irish number one as well. I mean, again, I suppose in a way, it's two things. One, it points to Fergal's great consistency, but also you have to ask, where are all the Irish juniors? Where are the new players? David Morris is there, but not that many others. Well, Fergal made this, this very point. Uh, the, the, the base is not as wide. Uh, the base of snooker players is not as wide in, in in his country and therefore there's a reduced chance on the law of averages of a real world class prospect emerging mm. I think a, a lot of uh, any young kids in Ireland would do well to look at Ken and Fergal, they both look after themselves and Fergal 
you know, he's not a hellraiser at all by any means. But also, and this is another theme that's come into snooker, personal fitness. He's joined a running club. He tells us he's pretty quick, which uh, may surprise a few people. But uh, again, that's that's something that you, you just didn't used to see in snooker. In the 1980s, it wasn't very common. You'd hear, I've, I've just been in the gym or I've been for a sort of five-mile run. It just didn't happen, did it? Well, it would have been regarded as the height of eccentricity. <laughs> But again, I suppose I suppose Ronnie O'Sullivan has sort of pioneered this to, to a pretty extreme level. I mean, he, he runs a hell of a lot. But it, it, it does seem to make a difference, because you do need energy, don't you? Particularly with so much travelling, it's not just the playing, it's the travelling as well. Oh, yes. It's not so much, it's not so much playing the matches, it's what go, goes with it all. The, the, the other thing that um, has developed so much from the, from the 80s, certainly from the 70s, is, is coaching. It, the received wisdom used to be, oh, if you're a good player, you don't need coaching. Well, uh, that, that's certainly not the case now. Everybody's looking for that tiny incremental improvement, that extra 1%, which could make all the difference. Yeah, and, and I think we've seen that with, with Michael Holt, actually, this season. He's with Terry Griffiths, um, and Michael's always been a, a terrific talent, but as the psychological side has maybe let him down sometimes. But we're, we're not much into the season, but he's already having really good results, and he's with Terry this year, and uh, that seems to be something that's working, and it points to Terry's great wisdom. I mean, it's not just the fact that he knows it all, he's, he's done it all as well. I think that Michael Holt's problem is not technique. He can play all the shots. Uh, the problem is not getting down on himself, not getting impatient with his own shortcomings. In short, a much more rounded and sensible mental approach. And Terry's just the man to help him get that. Yeah, Michael actually, he fulfills a lot of the things we talked about. He's in his mid to late 30s. And he's well into the physical fitness as well. And now he's got Terry on his side. Uh, well, interesting to see how he gets on this season. We're going to move on now to the Pro Snooker Blog uh, survey that Matt Hewitt uh, did on his uh, on his excellent website, Pro Snooker Blog. Now, obviously, this is read by snooker fans, so it's not like just stopping people in the street and asking them. It's uh, it's preaching to the converted to a degree, but it was still interesting to see what people felt. And what they felt, broadly speaking, was that they actually are pretty happy with the state of the game, resistant to too much... Sort of artificial change. I mean, the one thing that people don't want changed is the game itself. We've had sort of variants here and there, the six reds, power snooker for those with long memories, um, and various other things. But it seems to me, Clive, every sort of attempt to, to mess with the game has basically not worked. Well, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's it, it's such a it's such a great game. You can have you can work on the length of matches. We've got tournaments which are best of seven, best of nine then longer for the UK, uh, and even longer for the World Championship. Uh, best of seven is a sprint, uh, but uh, the sort of matches I prefer are the ones where you can have twists and turns mm. in the narrative, the slow burns, the accumulating dramatic tension. The, the, the matches that I most like to watch are the dramatic matches. I've got no interest, really, in, or very little interest in seeing a top player annihilate somebody 10-2 mm. because the, 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 the tension has been drained out of it long before the end. This is the thing, and it, it's again, it's something that you often hear people say, oh, people don't have, uh, can't, can't concentrate these days for, for their attention spans are, are too short. But I'm not sure that that's actually true. You know, you look at a lot of films seem to be getting longer and longer. And, uh, you know, you, Game of Thrones books are like, are like house bricks. You know, it takes, takes years to get through them. So if, if people like something, they get immersed in it. And there's, there's no doubt that the, the longer matches at the World Championship, when they go close and they're high quality, as, as quite a few of them were this year, 
are the best, and that was certainly borne out in the survey. On the other side of the scale, the shootout. I was interested in, in this because uh, he asked, uh, do you enjoy the, the shootout? 52.5% said yes, 47.5% no. It's a pretty direct split. It seems sort of a Marmite tournament, that. Yeah, I, I don't think it does any harm, just one, one a mm. year. It, it's something different. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's a fun tournament, uh, uh, if you can call any tournament carrying pretty substantial prize money, uh, undiluted, <laughs> undiluted fun. Uh, what I don't like about it is, is the, the, the crowd get overexcited. Mm. They, they get raucous. You, you, know, you encourage audience participation, and uh, you, if you give them an inch, they'll they'll they'll, they'll take a yard. But uh, I, I see no harm in in the in the one frame shootout. I I quite enjoy it. But uh, I, I wish the, the the crowd sometime would be a little bit more moderate in their enthusiasm. Yeah, well, the survey. If I can find uh, if I can find the answer, the survey said the same thing. They said they didn't want more rowdiness. I mean, the point about snooker crowds is ninety two point six percent. I've just found it say they were against rowdier crowds. The point about snooker is you know people are involved in the match if they're quiet because if they're quiet they're concentrating on what's happening if you if you hear them sort of moving about and talking it's because it's because they're bored but i agree you, you know to, to get the best play from the players you need order and pe- some people say oh well in the snooker club you get you know lots of people running around that's true but you're not playing for underground in the snooker club are you and it's not it's not the professional circuit um yeah, I mean, the thing about the shootout, the reason I brought it up was when the first one happened, and it was obviously new, and it was successful and popular on television, quite a few people, including players, started to say, well, this is great, let's bring in these rules for the World Championship. <laughs> I mean, that, that would just be, that would be no good, would it? No, it would be awful. <laughs> and and, and it, it's good as well that, in a way, I mean, I know a lot of people think the UK Championship should still be best of 17, but because now the World Championship is the only tournament with the really longer matches, in a way it's become more special, I think. It has become, you know, the, the one event a year where you know you're going to get two sessions, you or three or four in, in some rounds. And that's one thing you've got to say for Barry Hearn. He's not messed about with it at all. I think a lot of people feared he might, but he's not sure because he knows it works as well. Yes, I, I think that... Regarding length of matches, it's a case of what the market will will bear. Um, some tournaments, there's not there's not enough time to play more than best of seven. Certainly not in in, in the early rounds. And the same goes for best of nines. Uh, and the the decision to take more players to the final phase of the uh, of the UK Championship that had a bearing on reducing the early matches from best of seventeen to best of eleven. Mm. Also. <sighs> I mean, I, I like the best of 17s, but a 6-5 is better than a 9-2. You know, it, it, it can... A good snooker is good snooker, really, whatever the length. And, and, and if it's a great match, you kind of don't want it to end. But, but if, if it's a close 6-5, then who, who really cares? It turns out quite a few people do, actually. But anyway, we'll move on to another subject in the, in the survey, which was uh, 70% thought the win, win of the Women's World Championship should get a main tour wild card. I think this is a difficult one, isn't it? Because... Rianne Evans was given a wild card to play in the World Championship. She very nearly beat Ken Doherty, and people said, "Well, why not put her on the tour?" But of course, she's no longer the world champion. Um, the, the girl from Hong Kong won it, and uh, it wasn't the, the greatest standard. It's got to be said in that final. So the question would be, frankly, would she be good enough to play on the main tour rather than just sort of tokenism, giving her a place? Would it actually achieve anything? Uh, I'm not great on tokenism. I'm, I must say, uh, I think I think uh, uh, Rianne Evans showed that she. At her best, she's got the quality to at least compete on the main tour, even though she didn't win many matches. We're going to pause it because there's someone at the door.
Yeah, sorry about, sorry about that. There was someone at the door. It was good of them to knock because they normally just throw bricks through the window. So that was uh, that was nice. But we we were talking about to the, the the women's world champion uh, being on the on the circuit. I suppose the, the the argument for it would be it would sort of promote the women's game because it's quite hard for Rianne and, and the other players to improve if they're just playing each other. It's quite a small circuit, and also if girls don't see women playing, I guess they might not even think of taking the game up. Well, I don't think it would be promoting the women's game much if a, a women's representative on the tour was constantly losing 5-0, 5-0, 5-1. other tournaments. Um, there's the English Amateur Championship, uh, for example. There are a string of programs that the, 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 the top women players could, could uh, well um, play in those. In fact, uh, Rianne Evans um, did play in one of the the better ones, uh, the, the Snooker back, back at Classic, and uh, won one of those events. Mm. Yeah. So, so the, 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 there's plenty of opportunity for them. Okay. Now, this is another um, point that was raised in the survey, and it's kind of one of those things. It seems almost a strange thing to even ask people because it's never really come up. But Sean Murphy's had this idea that he thinks to get used to the table, players should come out. And rather than just start playing, they should have a sort of warm-up, you know, five minutes. You see in tennis, players warming up, even in darts they throw a few. And 60% of respondents said, that's a good idea. I'm not sure TV would be too impressed with that. Well, it seems impractical for me, but particularly when there are several matches taking place on the same table in the same day. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it's just going to look odd, you know, if the players, without any introduction, come out and start uh, seeing... Uh, whether the um, whether a ball pulls pulls into the black cushion or whatever, uh, I, I, I think you, you've just got to take a chance. The only possible uh, case for this would be in tournaments like the Masters, where you've got the whole morning uh, to, to 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 perhaps have a, a, a few minutes on the table. But I, I don't think it's it, it's a major issue. No, and also, I mean, I've been at tournaments, uh, certainly overseas, where players, they have actually practised on the table a couple of hours before the match. If there's no play going on, they've gone out there and, 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 and had a knock. And I don't, I don't think World Snooker would be, would be against that as long as everyone could do it. We see it at the Championship League, they, the players mm. have a practice, because there aren't any practice tables, so they play on the match table before it starts. But anyway, that's one of, that's one of Sean's. Uh, Sean's a law reader, so I thought I would, I would mention that one. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the prosnookerblog.com pro has uh, the results of that survey, and I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was interesting. The, the basic point that came out of it was that, although people do have their gripes, and obviously you see on Twitter people complain about all sorts of things, basically people are happy. And one of the reasons they're happy, of course, is the, the way the game has changed in the last five years. Our last uh, topic is going to be the Barry Hearn revolution, because when we did these podcasts before, it, it was uh, a different era, to say the least. Things have changed greatly, and his five year, initial five-year plan has now come to an end. He's got his new one. In place, Clive, you've been campaigning for, for decades for changing <laughs> snooker. What, what's your view of what Barry's done? It's been a marvellous success. Um, Barry, of course, uh, a classic uh, poacher turned gamekeeper. <laughs> he, he was a thorn in the side of the old WPBSA, but now that he's actually got the reins uh, at World Snooker, uh, he's really revolutionised it. Uh, there are wall-to-wall tournaments. Uh, prize money has increased uh, out of all recognition. Uh, no serious mistakes that I, I can see. In fact, uh, uh, the, the only disagreements that we've had in the five years he's been at the helm have been extremely minor, extremely civilised, which, <laughs> which they certainly weren't with the, <laughs> with, 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 with the old WPBSA. No. So I, I, I think that things have gone exceptionally well. Uh, I don't see any reason at all why they shouldn't go even better. 
And he says it's been easy, but of course it's easy when you're when you've got the contacts that he has. I mean, the old world snooker. We're not here to sort of bash the old guard, but they couldn't get any tournaments on ITV4. They couldn't get tournaments in Germany, even though it was clear that there was a market. And and yet Barry's come in and and very quickly. That was the thing that impressed me. Very quickly, tournaments just cropped up seemingly out of nowhere. But of course, it takes years of, of building the contacts and the experience to actually put these events on and crucially also not lose fortunes doing it well he was well established in the world of television sponsorship through his entrepreneurship in 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 other sports and classically as well he he knew something actually knew something about about snooker in the old days on the WPBSA board you either had players who knew very little about business or businessmen who knew nothing about players <laughs> about about snooker mm. so uh, um, uh, Barry has brought all his business expertise and his knowledge of snooker with with Steve Davis's right hand I, I mm. might add and it's proved to be the, the ideal combination and also, he doesn't sit still, does he? He's okay. The five-year plan is is up, but there's a new one in place, and he continues to innovate. Next season, we're going to have the three new British-based tournaments: the Irish Open, Scottish Open, and the English Open. The new European Championship. It's important not to just think, "Oh, it's all solved now." You've still got to actually come up with with fresh ideas to to keep it going. Well, he he he's done that. He, he's Use his experience in other sports. He looks at what's happening in the world of television, what's attractive, what isn't. And I'm sure that the that next season with with the new with the new tournaments will be even better than this. And I think it will also be higher profile. Yeah, the one criticism you do hear of him, and he might even own up to this, is that if he says something's right, is right, and he doesn't necessarily care if the person he's talking to disagrees in, in some ways that's quite refreshing because we've, we've in over the years we've had such a sort of committee based approach where everyone's got to be sort of kept happy I suppose his attitude is well to the players certainly you know I'm putting on the tournament you play and them get on with it yes he does he does say that but but he, he, he does listen to uh, criticisms observations and uh, I think that they they may make a difference in his thinking somewhere along the way, but at the end of the day, he makes the decisions and that's it. And that's how it's got to be. He did say, I heard him on the radio, he said he actually retired when he was in his 30s for about a week. And he, he, he went fishing and, and he likes fishing, but he just could not bear it. And, you know, that's the point. He doesn't actually have to do this, does he? He's in, he's in his 60s, he's got enough money to, to just go and lie on an island somewhere. But he clearly, he, he loves getting up in the morning and just going off making deals. Yes, well, he... He wakes up in the morning with, with with an objective, a sense of purpose, and however old you are, I think that's a good thing to have. Mm. So, what snooker's sort of immediate future? The, the next few years, it seems it seems rosy enough, but we know that it's sort of at the mercy of certain things. I mean, you look at the Chinese economy; that's cost uh, tennis and golf a couple of tournaments. So, we can't necessarily take it all for granted. Do you think that possibly? Looking to, to different markets, you know, they've talked about the Middle East for a number of years and quite got an event on there. But is, is that the answer to keep on looking at new territories? Well, uh, of course you have. You, 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 you've got to look to see where you can expand the game uh, and uh, uh, develop a, a new market. But I, I think that the, the big um, problem which snooker has in Great Britain is the lack of national newspaper coverage mm. because unless it, unless it's in the papers you know people tend to think oh this is not very important 
uh, and uh, it, it's very difficult to, to get uh, national newspaper sports editors uh, to change their mind and, and give, uh, give snooker what I think is its due. That's possibly one, one of the problems with, problems is maybe the wrong word, but one of the issues with the new tournaments, if you, if you ring up a newspaper and say, it's the international championship this week, they're, they're entitled to say, well, what's that? Because it, it doesn't have a history like the UK championship, the Masters, the World Championship, the people know what they are. So it's quite hard to just establish a new tournament. Maybe that'll come in time, although the British press just don't seem interested at all in snooker. No, but but there are ongoing narratives between between the players. Lots of lots of lots of rivalries. Who's going to be number one? You know, is, is uh, Judd Trump going to make a, a century of centuries this year? He, he, he's he's only made fifteen so far, but uh, I, I, I think that uh, with, with the tournaments um, gathering pace with more of them, I, I think he might well go close. Uh, all, all these things, there, there are stories about. There are stories to tell. Every player has a story to tell, and it's very frustrating that the national press won't wake up to this. Your enthusiasm, Clive, doesn't seem to have dimmed in the in the in all the years. Forty-four years now, you've been editing snooker scene. You you, you still still like it as much as ever. Again, uh, it's waking up in the morning with a sense of purpose and. Uh, uh, I, I do. It, it is satisfying when things go in the right direction, and maybe I've helped to give them a push here and there. Uh, I, I do love the game. Uh, I started playing when I was fourteen. Uh, I, I, I don't play. I don't play snooker anymore. I still play a, a, a little bit of billiards, but I think it, it gets in. It gets in your blood. Okay, well that's a, I think a, a good point to end on. Just to remind you, you can subscribe to Snooker Scene if you visit our website snookerscene.co.uk and let us know what you think of this podcast sorry that we had to, someone turn up at the door we couldn't help that um, but yeah let us know I'm on Twitter at Dave Hendon and uh, we'll be back with you for a new episode very soon thank you for listening Sports Social Podcast Network Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess Aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.